Welcome back to Second Look. In this episode, Pastor George is joined by his longtime friend, Judge David Watkins of Augusta, Georgia. Judge Watkins is a Christ follower, an officer of the court sworn to uphold justice, and an African-American who observed racial abuse of authority over the course of his life. Hearing his perspective about recent news reports, including the shooting of Jacob Blake, is powerful. This is a long episode, but worth the listen. Today, I'm honored to be on uh, this podcast with my dear friend, Judge David Watkins. We have been friends for a long time. We go back to Augusta, Georgia together. And uh, Judge Watkins, graduate of Morehouse, and then the uh, University of Georgia School of Law, uh, served in the Marine Corps, has been a state judge now for how many years total? Uh, I think I'm surpassing 23. 23 years. The state judge now is chief state judge. Uh, in the uh, in his district, and uh, Judge Watkins is uh, is uh, reformed in his theology, member of First Presbyterian Church, uh, a churchman for many years, and uh, a man who is centered on the gospel. And uh, I have just. I have just, I have found our friendship, David, uh, to be one of the great treasures of my life. Uh, I'll go ahead and embarrass you by saying you are a father to me. You're a mentor. And um, you also happen to be African-American, in case you didn't know that. (laughs) They can't see us on the podcast, but... um, that uh, the, the friendship we've shared and then the insights you've given me into race and justice uh, in this country, in the Southeast, it's just been incalculable. Uh, and you have taught me, you've taught me the power of the gospel to, to break down dividing walls of hostility and the lord the lord enabled us to do some pretty cool stuff in augusta and he's still still using you there i i, I thank you for that well, i wanted to have a go no you have a rebuttal <laughs> judge watkins you have a rebuttal no you're, you're welcome <laughs> I, I think from my rhythmic and lilting speech people will be able to discern <laughs> i am let's see what black color Negroid and whatever the flavor of the day is, um, but thank God that he looks. Um, it's not Jew nor Gentile, barbarian, Scythian or Greek, slave nor free. Uh, thank God for that, because if not, wouldn't have anywhere to go. Amen. It'd stick a fork in me, I'd be done. So <laughs> glad he transcends color, looks at the heart. And says, I'm going to replace that thing because it ain't no good. And give us, gives us a heart of flesh because this heart of stone is a hard thing to unearth. Mm. Hard thing to unearth. Amen. So, Thanks for constantly reminding me of that. And I've told you many times, I could not believe the gospel as deeply as I do if you were not my friend and, uh, <laughs> and loving me as well as you have. I want to I start by... Um, well, what I wanted to do in the in the podcast, David, is is sort of turn our friendship inside out, yeah, for listeners, because when we we communicate a lot together, uh, but especially when when I need clarity in thinking through uh, the latest um, thing in the news. Uh, especially as it regards race and uh, and law enforcement, I've just found your disciplined thinking. First of all, by its being centered in the gospel, but also that that discipline you learned in the military, the discipline you learned in 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 uh, 
law school uh, discipline, you have to to exercise as a judge every day. I just find that very, very helpful. And so I wanted to, uh, I want to do that. And I, I, you know, the, one of the accusations that's made now is that uh, when a white person is talking to a black person, they can be guilty of weaponizing black people you know, using the black person to say what the white person wants to hear. So let me, are, are you capable of being weaponized by me, David? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, now honestly, I guess that depends on your perspective. Uh, I, 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 would, I, I would hope not. I would, I would hope not, um, but just that whole mindset is is one in which it, it and and it obviously it's unfolding in different layers now. But I always find myself thinking, um, and unless uh, somehow or another humans have evolved into a godlike state, then how does one know when he or she is wrong or inaccurate? What is the test to determine that while sincere, you may be inaccurate? Uh, if there's no way of proving or establishing or measuring whether you, you're, you, your discernment of what you think is reality is accurate and accurate, then there's just no way of knowing unless you just equate sincerity with accuracy. So when you apply that, at least it seems to me, to um, making assertions where I'm, I'm, one person is weaponizing another, but you have no way to test that, then how do you know whether it's true or not, other than just the sheer emotional fervor that is being felt? And if that is the barometer, then, um, then anything goes, because one person may just simply have more emotional fervor than the other one. And whoever's frothing the most must be right. I, that, it, it, that is just nonsensical, so. So what are your, when you look at a, <clears throat> A situation. Let's just take the the most recent situation with in Kenosha, the Jacob Blake yeah. situation. Yeah. So your standards for determining how you should what 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 is the thought process you go through in thinking how sh how should I think about this? How should I feel about this? Well, we ha we have to admit right off it, it is it is this is an, a, an, a, an extremely painful situation especially against the the backdrop but all that has come before it with the last couple of weeks uh, with these high profile uh, deaths near deaths uh, um, from Blake going on way down to Ahmad Arbery, and it, 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 it makes getting, trying to navigate through these turbulent waters of emotion and assertions and allegations, getting to the truth, it, it makes it, it difficult. Um, so it, 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 where you find, I think where at least I found myself is when something like this happens, your the right side of your brain is exploding in pain and and, and anguish. Um, you know, while your left side of your brain is trying to just comprehend everything that happens. In other words, both sides of your brains, both sides of your brain go into overdrive, and it almost just overloads with stimuli, and you you try to not be overwhelmed everything and you try to discern 
reality. So you have two things going on at the same time. And just briefly, on one side, you're trying to bring an analytical approach to, the, to what you hope are sufficient facts. Nowadays, you don't even know whether facts are facts or they're just purported to be facts that are held out as facts. Um, where you have, you have folk who assert conclusions as facts, and then you have other folk who are trying to draw conclusions from facts. So you have that part going on. And then just the visceral emotional image is such for somebody like me, it, 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 it almost re-traumatizes you. And, mm. and so mm. let me try to make that more digestible so I won't ramble. So a part of me is, okay, let's, let's take 10 seconds to catch your breath. When something like this, it may take 20, 30, it may take 10 minutes to catch your breath. And look at this objectively to try to see what do we know. Um, and it becomes difficult because immediately we leave out, has been left out, the, the fact that there was a victim before Jacob Blake. And that victim was his girlfriend who supposedly had been sexually assaulted by him, had called the police. Uh, and she gets lost in the wake of all the, 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 the immediacy and the, 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 um, the, the, the political fodder that is being mined from all this to be used. So she's kind of pushed aside when she called because apparently she was sexually assaulted. There was a temporary restraining order, supposedly. She called the police to get him there to, to come. So you have, you don't even deal with a very significant part of it. You're, you're almost forced to immediately go to what you know now to concede on this left side. It, 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 you, you cannot be intellectually honest and say he bore no fault in this. Did he have some responsibility for what happened? Did he contribute to the situation that occurred? Absolutely, yes, he, he did. But there's a separate question also beyond that, and that is, okay, he triggered all this, but the separate question is, was, and the issue is, was there, is it, it, was there excessive force used? And then all you get all these other questions. Well, you know, did it really take that much to stop them? Well, one fact says the police tried to, to corral him and arrest them. He threw them off. And common sense says, well, but there's... Look, if, if, if he was able to take on two or three police and throw them off, then he had to be extremely tired afterwards. <laughs> Even if he was, you want to say he was hyped up on drugs, but there's no issue there. So why not just take him on again? It's kind of like when I was little watching WWF wrestling and those folk who were the tag team champions of the world, their strategy always keep one man in the ring all the time and just wear him down. Then you eventually pin him and you get the belt back. That's that's, it doesn't take rocket science to know. Three of you all jumped on him, and he whooped you. Well, all right. He tired. Now nah, just jump on him again, and you'll be able to bring him down. Well, he made it to the car. And what little reports I've read, again, the analytical side says, well, they, uh, the, the tasers that were used failed. And, I, and sometimes language precision is important. And if you read enough, you then re, you, you find yourself analyzing what was said, how it was said, and what was not said. So we have conclusions that the, the, they tried using the tasers, but it doesn't work, doesn't work. Well, someone from my perspective says, okay, well, what does that mean you tried using the tasers? Did you use them? Because you're not being specific. You did not say you hit him with a taser and he kept going. You said that it didn't work or some, some ambiguous language like that. So automatically you ask the question, well, did you shoot and you miss? Did, you, did, did, did they fail to operate? Did they malfunction? Did only one officer have a taser? If there were multiple officers, then in addition to jumping on them again, 
why not have another officer use his taser? And if you hit him and he didn't go down, I bet you if you hit him with another one and another one, it will at least slow him up so three or more officers can jump on him and take him down. So you have all these questions that began to, to raise a specter of suspicion and you just wonder, something is not smelling right in this stew. And if the stew doesn't smell right, I'm not eating it. So you, and, and most people won't. So you, you have these questions lingering from the analytical side. And then he gets to the car, according to the film. Uh, and you find yourself wondering. It, so you all were so concerned that he was going to pick up something. If there were children in the car, they became a non-concern. It just, so you, you have things that you want to be consistent to add up. They don't. And at, to be fair, the most you have, I think, are some questions that leave a cloud of suspicion in the air and you just wonder. All right, so just quickly move over to the emotional side. And it, what you, for, for, some, for someone like me, and the best way I can try to explain it is it's, it, 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 it's as if you see, you have a history of, of, of unnecessary force of violence. And, uh, and when it happens again, you, you, you react to it collectively. And you find yourself reeling and almost, um, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one when I saw it for the first time before you know it, you are reacting to it as if that's someone you know, that's a family. Um, and that's where there, I think, what we call the collective trauma. Well, how can that work? That's just a bunch of baldness. Well, perhaps and perhaps not. Only an analogy might be if you have a family member and that family member is injured or gets hurt, there's that, there's that something there that connects you and you feel that, that pain. It could be a loved one. You expand that. If you have something dramatic or traumatic happens to a church member, then the connection there as that psychic connection there as a family, that wave of pain and anguish is going to hit you too. So if you get, if you can relate to the shared pain of family members feeling the other's pain, if you can relate to the shared pain of church members feeling that other pain, it is not too too much of a stretch to conceive that this is possible on a larger scale with a larger group of people mm. who have experienced this historically such that it creates a link, a connection of time of some sort, which the people in the minority group will say to you, and that's understood culturally, if that something happens that, that has, is reminiscent that has happened because of what you look like and your culture and your the, the, the color of your skin, then when you see something that reminds you of that, it, then you find yourself reacting as if there was a connection. It is almost as if there was an electric current that hit him hmm. and, it, and it ran its way through the whole minority community and they reacted to it. So that gives you some sense of trying to think through, walk through, feel your way through something that happens like this. The most extreme example, any black person, any person of color will tell you uh, how difficult it is to read or to watch or to see photos of lynchings. Am I saying this is a lynching? No, I'm not. I'm just trying to point out that when, when something happens that, that reminds you of your cultural existence, um, and, and in a certain location or time, then you have this reaction. Um, a, a, a historian, I think I've mentioned this to you before by the name of U.B. Phillips, uh, happens to be a white historian um, who is renowned in his field. He has said, we don't live in the past, but our past lives in us. And he has 
noted that there's something mystical about that. And it shouldn't be too difficult to comprehend since we are creatures of mind um, and, and body, spirit, or mind slash soul slash spirit slash body. We are, we are interconnected in that way. So that's my, that's the only way I can try to open up and explain in a way that it may be understandable what goes on when we see an incident like this, especially when we have a couple of incidents leading up to that, that reopened old wounds and, the, and that wound was fresh when something like this. It's very helpful. It's also helpful insight into the, 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 the multiple levels of pain mm -hmm. that you as a black man in particular endure with these kinds of, these kinds of incidents that, that get recorded on video. And again, it's, it's, you have people who have studied these type of encounters. You have a, um, uh, that, and what persons who come to mind, she is a leading expert. She studied it. Uh, I've read her works. They're solid. She's intellectually rigorous, honest. Heather McDonald. You have um, a young black economist by the name of Dr. Uh, Roland Fryer, uh, who's done cutting edge data research on this, and 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 they are quite skilled and are thought leaders in the objective analysis about what the numbers say. And that is true. And you also have the psychological and the emotional toll this takes on. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. They are not. They're, they're just on parallel tracks and they both are true at the same time. So the numbers may suggest objectively one thing, but it doesn't detract from the, the emotional reaction on another. I mean, you, you can say, hey, look, on balance, there are not that many people that have been assaulted by priests in the Catholic Church. So when you crunch the numbers, it's a relatively small number. However, the psychic and psychological emotional damage is such, it has a corrosive effect on the, the, all of the members of that church. And in particularly, when you dig down uh, the members of that particular parish where it may happen, and, and it, stands, it stands to reason, goes unsaid, the effect on that family. So the data may say one thing, but it doesn't negate the, the, uh, the untold and the incalculable damage that it does on the other hand. Those two things can both be true at the same time. And if we can understand that, you'll tend to see why one doesn't necessarily cancel the other out. I'm so glad you said that because that, that really is a key to uh, having a biblical mind, isn't it? It's, it's, it's being able to hold two things in your mind at the same time that may seem mutually exclusive. Yeah. So we know them theologically as sovereignty of God, responsibility of man, prayer, and the sovereignty of God's <clears throat> trinity and unity. But that kind of, a friend of mine calls it dialectic, that kind of dialectic applies to all areas of life as well. So you've got, so as, as Christians standing on scripture, we have to call everything that is sin, sin, or everything that is not right, not right. So yeah. Jacob Blake, um, if, if he is uh, guilty of what he was accused, and uh, abused his girlfriend, that is wrong. That is sin. <clears throat> if 
it is proven that he used that the police used excessive force to bring him down. That is wrong. Mm -hmm. That is sin. What he did is injustice. What they did is injustice. What he suffered, we would presume, as a child that, that led him to think he could, or what he experienced as a child led him to think he could treat a woman that way, he was wronged. That's injustice. Mm -hmm. That's wrong. It, it, there, there, uh, maybe he grew up in a, in a broken, systemically unjust economic system or educational system. All of that is wrong, right? But, but speak to this a little bit about the, what's, what's happening in the culture where you've got to, you, you, can, you can't embrace two things at once. You have to be on one side of the, you have to be against the police or you've got to be against Jacob Blake. You know, it's almost to, to say that two things can't be true at the same time. And if you say so, then you're engaging in some type of um, theological, religious, or, or ivory, ivy towel, uh, intellectual mumbo jumbo. That's, that's, that's the, the thought behind that. But it's, it's just not true. I, that was driven home to me, and I'll, hopefully I'll answer your question more specifically in a second, but I think it's Neil deGrasse, who's a top-notch physicist, just happens to be black. Um, and I was listening to a lecture of his once, and he was saying how when they, at one point, they thought light was either a particle or a wave. And the further they got out into the universe where the, the laws we live by seemed to shape and morph, I'm like, wow, we're at Star Trek level now, that they discovered that it, the light was both a wave and a particle. Well, explain. I can't explain. Well, <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's not true. There it is. So the point is it, it is, it is true on so many different levels. It is true in the law of physics, and that gives some credence to the fact this is not just something – someone made up to try to reconcile a contradiction. Um, but, but it is true. In fact, as it relates to Jacob Blake, he could have been, he could, I mean, he could have been a somehow another so shaped by his circumstances that it, it, from his mindset, his, he was, uh, he, he was, he was aware of some options and blind to other options that were just as real. That is true. Or he could have just been mean as a snake, a bully. Someone who in, in, in the Old West, they may have said, that guy deserves to kill him. But the issue is, if he was on one extreme than the other, you still have, the, the, it, does, it does not remove that issue of the duty of the police, what, they're, what they are required to do um, on this continuum of, continuum of force that supposedly they operate under. And it does not give them an open season on someone, regardless of how bad he may be perceived to be or, or, or actually is. And that is is sin too. It just is. So it still is the issue, no matter what he did, even if you conclude that it was the worst of the worst, uh, it, it, did you fulfill your duty? Did you use excessive force? Did you use reasonable force? Or did you not under the circumstances? It is just not, here is A, so therefore, this is the conclusion. And if he was everything you said, um, then yeah, yeah, you could have beat his brains out or blown his brains out. It, it, does, it does not follow. That is it's just illogical to say that. And logic is one of the best ways we know to discern this present re reality. So He's still made in the image of God, regardless still, of what he's, he's still done. made in the image of He's still made in the image of God point blank you cannot get around that so therefore you have a duty to him you have both a legal duty 
and a moral duty. Well, he's not a folk who act and not a Christian. Well, okay. But as, if we're talking about how we're to, to evaluate, how we're to respond in relation to this news, what it makes us do, we, it, it, the gospel informs how we have to think about it. And, and, and the Bible is not a, a, a book of, of what we want, what we want it to be what we want it to say, what we hope it will be. It is a book that informs us and it, it, we, it, we are shaped and informed by what it is. And this is not a, a matter of trying to get reality to conform to the way we want it to be. No, 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 no. It, 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 as mature folk, we, we, we take facts as they are. We don't we don't take them as we want them to be. And, and that's one of the things that the word of God does it. And, uh, and if we get upset about it, then that's tough Tootsie Rolls. We just have to adjust. You know, when, uh, when earlier when we talked about, uh, when I reached out to you about the Ahmad Arbery, Oh, yeah. Tragedy and George Floyd. Yeah. Um, your reactions to those? I mean, you you called them what I and I I I I I, am, I mimicked your terminology. I called it the same: a modern day lynching. Yeah. And those those facts, again, what uh, uh, the, the, the the Jacob Blake situation could be fuzzier uh, than these. They're all tragic, but each has to be, um, each has to be evaluated individually uh, uh, by, by left brain thinking and also processed emotionally as traumatic. Um, how do you think those those situations diff, uh, stand out uh, amid um, uh, the these uh, recent tragedies? They just make it difficult to process all this because we're humans. I mean, there are just some some certain common characteristics. If and 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 when it's just the way your brain operates, it seems to me. It looks for patterns. It looks for similarities it immediately goes to, if it, if it sounds like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it must be a duck. And if that duck bites you one too many times, then the next time, you ain't gonna wait till it sounds, quacks and walks. As soon as you hear that quack, you're gonna say, that's a duck. I'm gonna return, I'm gonna return to Elmer Fudd. I mean, it's just the way the mind works. It, it just, it it, it 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 economizes in sorting two things and, and drawing a conclusion. If you if you have someone and uh, someone I'm, I'm new to the city, uh, I come in and I'm I'm in, first day I'm mugged. Person has on a black mask, black clothes, uh, has a black mallet. And I'm, I'm mugged. Once I get what that, that's traumatizing. Three days later, my time in a new city, I, I, I see a person with a black mask and, and dressed in black, and I get mugged again. So about the, my third time, I run into somebody. If he even looks like he's got a mask, it's dark blue, and if he has on dark blue sneakers. My mind is going to start processing that and it's going on alert. That's the way we are wired. So when something like this happens, it is so easy to jump to conclusions because call it the fight of flight mechanism, it just makes it even more difficult and requires more energy to pause and to try to evaluate it thoroughly, especially when you have the when you're 
emotional stimuli, survival mode, it just kicks in. And it, it's just also integrated, it seems to me. So when something like this happened, I don't think I was the only one. I've talked to enough people. Uh, as much as I've been supposedly trained, it, just to hear about the incident, it took so much out of me. I, I, the one, and then there was, seemed to be a series of incidents. And it just, you know, George, it's, it's like getting your, you, you burn your hand, you burn your finger on the stove. That skin is so sensitive for a period of time that even if warm water hits it too soon, it's, you're gonna almost think, wonder if you're getting burned again. So not to have time to really process a heal, and we had these series of events, it is no wonder that we, that a number of people were reacting. Whether that was overreaction or not, I can't say. But it was not surprising because psychologically you were experiencing what you might physiologically, if you burn your, your finger, it's a first degree burn and it's sensitive, let alone a second or third degree burn. And it's just so similar to me. So it, it's difficult to sort through. You kind of have to, but I can just tell you the rat-a-tat-tat-tat impact of it was such that it, it didn't take much of a, of, of a similar blow from the, to the same place that just knocked you kind of loopy, where you could not think, you just felt yourself being compelled to react. And what is it like then being an officer of the court, somebody who is sworn to uphold the law, somebody who has to work very closely with law enforcement every day and uh, the law enforcement, the sheriff, Augusta, is African-American here. Mm -hmm. uh, mayor is African-American. The, the key leaders of the city are African-American. <clears throat> and so you're, you're an officer of the court. You have this you're upholding the law you're you're you've got the back of law enforcement you also have you're you're sworn to uphold justice on behalf of the people you've got to you've got to make sure the person standing in front of your desk is in front of your dais is is receiving justice regardless of the color of their skin or their socioeconomic condition um and then you have your own history of ex personal experiences with racism mm -hmm. and the way you have suffered from that yourself. What, what is all of that like? What is it? What is, how do you, how do you tease through those, those various tensions? Um, with a lot of effort. <laughs> um, and you, and you hope more often than not you get you get it right. We, we I, I'm of that school of thought that says whether you realize it or not, you bring your own baggage to any situation. You try your best to. You may have a bias, but it doesn't mean you can't be fair. If if that were true, there would be no such things as referees and in sports. They have their biases. They may want one team to win the, of the other, or like one team over the other, but it doesn't mean they can't call balls and strikes, call fouls. They can be fair in spite of those biases. And, and that's what you, you're trying to do. It, you're trying to, that baggage you bring, you carry on your back as a, as a carry it like a backpack. You try to take it off at least try to keep it from interfering. Um, and it, and it, is, it is not easy. I mean, we, we, when we talk about these issues, we're presuming that we all agree on the definitions of racism. And it just may not be true. My definition may be different than someone else's. So when we talk about these issues, I'm talking about A, they're talking about B. We have not defined what the particular concept is and agreed upon it. 
and so you have all of this swirling around um, as you're trying to sort through, uh, see through this muddy water of, of racially charged uh, encounters and, and make, and see clearly, try to navigate your way again and to, and to, and, and to make a decision. You bring your experiences um, and, and it's not irrelevant. All of this goes into trying to say, what is this thing I'm dealing with? Uh, what is what does fairness and justice look like with is many of these things that I should I can consider um, and and that's what in a nutshell uh, that's the principle that you try to employ the trick is always in applying it and employing it, it, it skillfully and it is I mean it's, it's it's not an easy thing. It's 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 because when we talk about justice, we're in a sense talking about fairness. So, um, and and some of the folks standing in front of you that you're trying to to apply fairness to, some of them are some of them are not the most upstanding characters, and that doesn't help because they, some of them are just rascals. They're just flat out rascals. Um, and, it's just, and it's just true. And you're, you're, you're trying to help them in spite of themselves. You're trying to, to, to help them by protecting them from themselves. So it's, it gets, all of that makes it difficult. Um, and you just try to, you, you, you try to do it your best you can. And one way is, is trying to be self-aware, trying to have some perspective um, and, and just, and, and doing that the best you can in very difficult circumstances. Let me ask and, you some. Uh, I guess in, oh, in the yeah. end, you're trying to remember that, that the acts of one don't necessarily reflect the acts of all, mm. you know. Yeah. Let me ask you that. That Let me ask you some rapid fire, a few rapid fire questions. Of, okay. <clears throat> what is justice? Oh, Lord. Um, you know, I used to say that justice was treating everybody the same, but it's not. It's, it's trying to, to, and the only word I can use is, is, is trying to be fair, equitable, trying to, to, to all. And that may mean treating someone differently in, 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 in a sense. Um, it's trying not to show mercy to person A when it, caused, when it results in cruelty to person B. It's, it's trying to treat someone like you would want to be fairly treated and to do that through the the, the 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 through the lens of 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 the gospel, through through lens of the gospel, love the God God with all your heart, strength, might, and soul, and to love your neighbors of yourself with those two twin pillars. Um, it's always easier said than done. So that's the best rapid answer I can give. <laughs> what about is there uh, is there such a thing as systemic racism? I think it depends on how you define it. I, you know, I hear that term thrown around a lot, and it's a very sexy term. I guess I can say that on this podcast. It's very it's sensuous term. It's a it's a siren song. But when I say okay, but when I try to figure out exactly what it means, sometimes it feels like holding mercury in my hand. It just slips through. So I'm not trying to dodge your question. I'm just saying. It depends on, on what it what it means. I can tell you, uh, there are some there are, there are, there are structures in place that, by their nature, tend to be less fair to some people than others, and I've I've seen that. So it it really if we can get get the definition down. 
I can more easily answer. But I can tell you that um, there's, there's, there's something unfair within the environment that pops up all the time. Institution, Jim Crow was institutionalized as systemic racism, if, if there was ever an example. Um, so it, it has existed before. That's the best answer I can give. Um, <clears throat> tell me, uh, you've mentioned the gospel yeah. a few times. What is the gospel? And how uh, did, uh, specifically, how does it make a difference? How does it make a difference in you, in your, your practice on the bench? And you're, you said you've got to look at somebody through the lens of the gospel. What do you mean by that? <laughs> Well, on my, my bad days is when um, I do the unthinkable. I, I, it's, 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 it's like a, uh, a twitch in the eye, an instinctive tick. It's my mental defect when I whisper uh, somehow to God, uh, this doesn't make sense, and then his rapid fire answer. Oh, so you want to talk about this? Oh, you want to discuss this? Okay, let's discuss this. And I knew I, right then and there, I know in a blink of an eye, I've been put into a spiritual uh, octagon. And uh, I'm in this Texas death cage match with God, and there's no way out. And I know I'm going to lose from the beginning. Um, and he just won't let me submit. And then I end up submitting after he puts me into figure four, some Brazilian jiu-jitsu moves, and he's poking his finger in my chest and basically says, now you really want to tell me this is right? You really want to tell me as you understand that this is fair? No, convince me, convince me, convince me. Um, so it's, 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 it's kind of that immediate application of, am I loving my neighbor as myself? Am I seeking to do all I can to love God with my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole body, my whole soul, which implies loving my neighbor and myself. And if you back it up any further, it all does tie in to the fact that God loved me. I still don't understand why when he didn't have to, that, that, the, the, that the, in fact, Jesus Christ came here in fact, to be my propitiation, my expiation, to satisfy God's wrath, eternal wrath for offending an infinite God. And, 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 and therefore, uh, the propitiation part of it, which is now God is for me, my way of looking at it, and the expiation part, which is God has exed away uh, all of his wrath that I justly deserved. And, and he's asked me a simple question. Uh, I loved you and I didn't have to. So why is it too much to ask for me to ask, will you love someone when you don't have to and they don't deserve it? Why is that too big a thing? And I have no answer. I just have no answer. And I just... And therefore, since I can't refute it, then I have to submit to it and condone it and concede to it. So that's, that's how I understand the gospel in my heart. I'm going to push you on that uh, yeah. and uh, get real personal. Yeah. Uh, as, we, as we wind down here, you've been so generous with your time. But I wonder if you'd mind sharing the very painful recent yeah. experience you had <clears throat> as you're selling your home. Um, I, you and I live near each other, and mm -hmm. we would say it's in a very nice area of Augusta. You have a very nice home, and um, you were selling that to downsize, yep. to, uh, to uh, be ready to be closer to your grandchildren perhaps in the future, but uh, 
but a painful, humiliating experience. And then you actually had to put that gospel into practice uh, in a in a very uh, very real real time way. Can you can you describe that experience? Yeah. Um, you know, God is always saying to me, so David, this is your principle. Um, you firmly believe that you can, that um, you can only really know a man's principles when he has to live by them, right? Yeah, God, yeah, yeah. Well, well, what's your point? What's your point? Because I know what's the point, where he's going with it. I'm just, I just don't know how he's going to get me. I just know he's going, I'm going to get God. And he says, okay, well, here we go. And it all happens in a moment of a time. And it happened just fairly recently. You're right. And getting ready to sell a house. Um, we, all these different steps you have to run through. We got to the point where we had to get the house praised. So I got a call. And it was during the time that my son and daughter-in-law were here. Grandkids were here. And I got a call a day or two before the appraiser came by. I think it was a day of. And this person who's in a position of knowing because they're involved in this process says, um, hey, love, I, I need you to, um, I, I, when the praiser comes, I need you to go in the house. So what are you talking about? Well, now, is that person, excuse me, is that person black or white who's telling you that you need to go in the house? Well, to, to protect the guilty or the innocent, yeah. let, let, let me leave that. Yeah. That. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, but trust me that that out of all these folk involved and we're going up the pecking order at this point uh, and at the higher end of the pecking order, the person says, I, I know you well enough. I, 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 I have to say this and I don't want to say it. That person does not need to see what you look like. You have to go into the house. I said, are you saying what I think you're saying? Because that's exactly what I'm saying. If that person sees who you are in this neighborhood and you don't look like the other people of the neighborhood, then that may affect the devaluation, the, the appraisal of your house. And for a second, um, I've been known to have a temper. Um, I went from zero to 60. No, it was, it was warp seven. I was white hot, white hot. Um, and I reverted to that old Marine Corps language in my mind when I had that conversation with myself. Um, and I ended up, and I said it was, thankfully it was, it was only for a short period of time. Uh, and I was able to get through that quickly, think clearly. I kept my eyes on the prize, what we're trying to do. Um, and it was, but it was humiliating. I had to, get my family, had to close the curtains, tell my son who I keep saying things are changing, my daughter-in-law, my grandkids, pull the curtains, go upstairs, don't let anyone see you. Um, and I said, so this is what many of us, you are, George, old enough to remember Roots, Alex Haley, the miniseries uh, years ago. And I said, so this is what Kunta Kente felt like as he was hiding out in the woods. Uh, so this is what Kunta and Kizzy felt like when they're hiding, because hiding from the, from the folk who, who, from the bad folk who want to do bad things for them. And it was, it was absolutely humiliating, but it was another reminder to me, while, as the old saying goes, uh, and this is where perspective comes in, we, we ain't where we want to be, we ain't where we going to be. But thank God in heaven, we ain't where we was. Um, and that kind of helped me calm down because it gave me perspective. Um, but it still goes on. Uh, and that might be an example of some type of systemic racism because that is a system that can occur. Um, it is not unusual. I think just recently, August 25th, New York Times came out with an article on the same thing, just happened to be writing about it. Uh, that would be, to me, the closest thing to say, this is what a system of systemic racism looks like, this little system right here. So, and it was, um, 
uh, it was not a good feeling. And, and, and I, I would say the gospel kept me in check because at that point, it, it, was, it was the only thing that helped me to give in, helped, kept me from giving in to my darker demons. And I was, it was the only thing that it could appeal to my higher angels because I was more concerned with what God thought about me than what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do was not very godlike or pretty, but it sure would have felt good. <laughs> well, and I think I can say, <clears throat> well, I know I can say, from experience with you, if you're, when your white friends challenge you and say, David, there's, there's really no such thing as racism anymore. No such thing as in any way, a a systemic racism, you, you would say to them, here's an example. Um, And, uh, and, 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 uh, and then to, uh, the the African American who says, um, I, "I just uh, are you telling me that I that I just need to that I just need to bear that in my soul and and deal with that in the gospel and there's no other action. I mean, you you certainly need to deal with it in the gospel. But what would we say? So on the one hand, yeah, with our white neighbors who may deny there's there's racism i've seen you you tell these kinds of stories and it it helps open their eyes to the reality it's it's one thing to talk about it um as an academic subject it's another when you can you can tell your own story and that's one ministry that you have in dealing with the denial of racism. But there's also, uh, I want you also, I I don't want us to leave in any way the impression that with, I mean, with, with, uh, with your children, with your grandchildren, that that's the end of it. You're just going to, you're just going to bear it and you've just got to learn to suck it up and deal with it. You're, you're an officer of the court mm-hmm. <laughs> you're you're a leader in your community so i i know you're also working practically to change that system um it, it's it's both for us isn't it it's it's dealing with it piously i mean with our own prayer lives it's telling our stories but it's also working doing practical things that 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 will bring change that will bring biblical justice i I don't know why there seems to be this automatic belief that the gospel is passive i I just i don't understand that and and sometimes that's what you you have to go to um if you believe in the gospel then you will just take it you will be a doormat or whatever uh, and I think what it's really driving to is, no, it's, it's not telling you to do nothing. I'm just in trying to make sure you do it in the right way. So it's, it's, it's not, it's what, how you, what you do is it seems to be the issue to me. But for whatever reason, there's been this miseducation of passivity, which is where it, it gave rise to the black Muslims and, and, and gave some traction to this notion uh, religion is the opiate of the people because, but that, you know, we can go back to how that was used in slavery's time to pacify um, and that uh, pacification kept everybody in their place and kept an evil system going. And maybe that's where it, it stems from, but you're absolutely right. We are, we are told to, to roll up our sleeves and get to work. And that's, 
that's the gospel. That's the outworking of salvation in so many ways. Um, and I, if you say I do it, George, I, I, I'll take your word for it. It doesn't always feel like it or look like it. I think it was, uh, was it Henry Nguyen, Catholic yeah. author, who said, well, no one, you know, this, this being a wound to heal, I'm telling you, man, it ain't all it's cracked up. It's, 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 you know, you know, that stuff look good on paper, but my goodness. Um, I said, look, I, you know, Henry, you got me di- you got me down to death of a thousand cuts here now. God trust well, you. And well, we, and we have to do it together, as you've told me, and I think you told uh, another white friend that you've even given uh, a black card to. You said he's earned his black card, but you've you've told him as you told as you've told me. Talk is cheap. It is. And if you really believe that wrong is wrong, if you really believe that there is such a thing as racism, um, then uh, show me. And I'm, uh, I must say, I'm, I must say this. Uh, that's I think. You know, honestly, George, all jokes aside, uh, that was my litmus test for you. And and you're one of the few that I've ever run into who sees that as the ultimate barometer of of living out and believing the gospel. Men know instinctively, man, you can talk a good game. But get out here on the floor, get out here in the in the in the in the in the, the field of battle. And I'm just telling you, that's um, when you decided to live that way. You 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 honestly gave me hope, and it it helped me see that this you just. The you, you it's it's like the race pimps, uh, it's the, the the race pimps they are the the equivalent of a jack a a, a pastor who tries to fleece the flock, um, and and you you gave me hope that it just wasn't a hustle it wasn't a means to an end it just wasn't a shibboleth that was used to. Um, pretend one thing while doing something else. And um, I, it, 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 it probably came at a crucial time in my life. Uh, and that's why I, I value all you do so much because what's out here, it's, it's so, it is so easy to become disenchanted, disillusioned, dispirited. And, um, and, and and you you help stem that tide. So so I so I gladly do. You know when you ask me to do something, I try my best to do it. Cause you're you're the real deal. You're the real McCoy. And McCoy was a black man. You do know that, right? <laughs> I'm honored. You're too kind. Uh, well, I love you, my friend. I love you love very you. much. Would you uh, would you close us with prayer? Yeah, I will. Um, Father, as always, I, I thank you for, for Pastor George Robinson, uh, how he pours his life out for the folk he serves, how he acted as a lifeline for me in a crucial time of, of need, um, how he exemplifies what we all should be, how he allows himself to be used as an instrument at great cost to himself. Uh, so we th- thank you for that. Thank you for this time. I, I hope that you will take some of the, the things that were said, use it as your glory, continue to use us as your instruments, because to, to you be the glory, to you be the glory. And during these times, these very, very difficult times, as, as George said at the onset, it help us to know that we have to um, not lean on our on own understanding, mm-hmm. Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, but we have to trust in you. And Father, if that means you have to knock us to our knees, um, mm-hmm. then do that. Help us to be like Peter, 
still, even though we do not understand, we run to you because there is nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. Strengthen us through these trials and tribulations. Continue to use, to turn us as pieces of cold into rock hard diamonds that reflect all your glory, all your pristine transcendence. And we ask this, just giving thanks for all you have done. And Jesus, just thank you. Thank you for loving us first, even when we didn't love you. May we become more faithful, live more faithfully. And, and we serve you well. And in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks again, David. Mm-hmm.